uh, and making it all about Jesus. Amen? Just all about Jesus. You know, that, that's what we're all about. We're all about Jesus. Got the, uh, the privilege and the honor to rub shoulders with some really godly men this weekend. We had our elders retreat. And, um, I, you know, the, each retreat is wonderful. Um, you know how much time we spent talking about numbers? About 10 minutes. We spent the, the bulk of our time together saturating our hearts and our souls in Scripture and seeking the Lord. And, and we worked and we ate and we slept. And we worked and we ate and we slept. And we just, just completely sought the Lord. And it was unbelievable how the Lord just showed up and, and revealed his heart and his will for us, his church. And, and uh, what an honor and a privilege. And I just want to tell you, we have really godly, faithful shepherds here at Fire Revival Fellowship. We really do. Yeah. Yeah, we should honor, we should honor our shepherds. That's very biblical. And, and the scriptures tell us that as elders, we are to shepherd the flock of God. And, and that really, it was the theme of our retreat. How do we best shepherd the flock? And, and in the coming weeks and months, we're, we're going to start sharing some of the things that the Lord shared with us as, as we start to more intentionally shepherd here uh, and shepherd you and us together as the church. Now, there is one thing I do want to talk about, just a little bit, about numbers. Um, I do want to point out where we're at financially, and this is, this is an important conversation. And so at the end of the year, last year, we closed out the year very, very strong, and it's very, very common for us to get into the month of January and for our, our giving to take a pretty, pretty steep uh, decline, and then we start to pick up, come around February, March, and all that. But I just want to show you that part of our responsibility and part of our worship as a church is faithfully giving of our resources. And so I want to encourage you to prayerfully consider uh, your giving uh, here at the church. Um, our needed weekly is actually going to be coming down. Uh, we're finding ways of being better stewards of the resources that you all entrust to really one another. Uh, these resources are not just trusted to leadership, but these resources are trusted to us, the church. And so, just want to encourage you to pray about that, to give faithfully as the Lord has blessed you. Now, let's open our Bibles. Everybody say, Word. We are in Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7. We are continuing our study of the Gospel of Matthew. We are coming to the final chapter uh, of what is known as the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter, uh, chapters 5 through 7. Uh, this morning's uh, title uh, of the message is, Don't Be a Plank Face. Uh, don't be <laughs> a plank face. Well, there's an old story uh, of a woman who was standing at her window, uh, absolutely disgusted by what she was witnessing. Her neighbor, a single mother, was hanging her sheets to dry in the afternoon sun, and there were stains and streaks all over the wash, and the the woman began to ridicule her neighbor. I, I can't believe she would hang such disgusting sheets in the sun. And, oh, I can't believe she would have her children sleep on such rags. And, oh, have you seen her kids? I'm, I'm pretty sure they're, they're malnourished and poorly cared for. When was the last time they got a bath? And the husband just quietly folded up his newspaper and grabbed a bucket and a rag and, and walked outside. And the woman watched as her husband began to clean the window that she was looking through. And then all of a sudden she realized that those sheets were spotless. 
and the problem was actually the window. We all have a window we look through as we view the world, and if we're not careful, if we don't keep our own window clean, we may just start to see all the dirt and smudges and grime and everyone else's lives, never realizing that the problem may not be them at all. The problem may, in fact, be the window that we are looking through. We are now in this, this last great chapter of the Sermon on the Mount. It is an important section of Scripture. Through this chapter, we're going to be encouraged to greater faith. We will be challenged to ask ourselves, do we actually have faith at all? And then the chapter will conclude with, what are we building our life on? Are we building our life on, on Christ and his teaching? Are we building this church on Christ and his teaching? Or are we, in turn, building our lives in this church on the shifting sands of culture and life? We're going to ask some really important questions over the course of Matthew chapter 7. But this morning we are turning to a very practical discussion that I think we all can relate to. I think we're all going to have some head-nodding moments where we're like, yeah, I can agree with that. Yeah, my spouse definitely behaves like that. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. They're the ones that has this problem. Oh man, I sure hope they're here listening. You ever have that? You ever hear a message and you're like, man, I wish they were here to hear that. <laughs> uh, you should have been at church on Sunday. Why? Oh, it was perfect for you. <laughs> but I think we've all been in a situation where we've looked at another person and all we can see is the dirt and the stink. What can smell is just the mess of their life. And, you know, this weekend, as we were on our retreat, uh, first day we were walking along, and I met a man named Omar, and he was, he was sitting in front of a restaurant asking for money. And I opened my wallet, and I gave him everything I had. And, and, and I said, are you hungry? And he's like, yeah. And he went into the restaurant, and, and uh, he was ordering. So I just went and sat with him. And, and, I mean, very clearly homeless, been homeless the majority of his adult life. And, and as we talked, I came to realize this man knew more of Jesus and of God and some of the, the nicely pressed nominal Sunday churchgoers. <laughs> and I realized that beneath the rags was a saint. And beneath what we could see on the surface was a, was a man who loved God. And I realized, gosh, how often we get distracted about what, what's on the surface of somebody's life and we forget that that's a person that Jesus died for. Matthew chapter 7 Verses 1 through 6. Judge not that you be not judged. I, by the way, as we go through this, if you have a Bible, I want you just to kind of underline you. <laughs> I love that personal pronoun. So pointed. You. Who's you? Well, in this passage, you is a disciple, a follower of Jesus. It's you, it's me. Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. <laughs> Why do you see the speck that is in your brother or sister's eye, but do not notice the log in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother or sister, hey, let me take this speck out of your eye, when there is a log in your own eye? You, ooh, I don't like that word, hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. This passage is, is really a mirror. You know, 16 times 
the personal pronoun you is, is used, it's very personal. You know, this is the follower, this is the disciple. Remember, Jesus is sitting on a hillside, his disciples came to him, he's teaching them. He's like, you, guys, when you do this, you're behaving in a way that is inconsistent with the teachings of Jesus, inconsistent with the gospel, a Christ-centered life, a gospel-focused life. This is, this is the antithesis of that. This morning, we're going to look at the three reasons that we should not judge one another and one spiritual solution, and it's a good one. <laughs> three reasons why we should not judge others and one solution, and again, that solution, it's going to be a good one. The first reason we should not judge others is we will be held accountable to our own standard. Ouch. Matthew 7, verses 1 through 2, judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Uh, one of the most known and quoted verses of the Bible, Matthew 7, verse 1, judge not lest you be judged, is very, very known. I mean, m people who are millions of miles away from, from God, spiritually speaking, can quote it. But what's fascinating is those of us who are close to God and the Scriptures struggle to live this one out. Isn't that weird? Judged and measured. Two repeating words and themes of these two verses. Always look for repeating words. Always look for repeating themes as you study the Scripture. Repetition is, is how we learn. Judged is repeated four times. Measured is repeated twice. And, and it's essentially highlighting the two sides of the, the same spiritually sick coin. To judge, it means to criticize and find fault and condemn to measure is to weigh and assess other people's actions, behaviors, or words. And, and here's what's crazy. When we judge, what, what's happened is we take, we take the, the seat of judgment in our own hearts. We, we become the judge, Judy. Guilty, sir. You're guilty. And we start to assess everybody else's life. Where we evaluate people according to our own standard of law and ethics. Wow, how flawed that is. And pronounce judgment guilty. When we measure a person, what we're doing is, is we're measuring them like a measuring cup or, or we're measuring them like a ruler. And we, we run that, that self-righteous ruler up and down their life to, to evaluate and to expose every single inch of their life that is, that is inconsistent with true righteousness. Our own brand, of course. We judge and measure all kinds of folks, right? Like our fellow drivers? Hmm, never do that. How about our spouses? Children, neighbors? How about our coworkers? Hmm, fellow Christians, educators, parents, family members, that waiter or waitress? What we do with the people we don't even know. I wonder how long Mike McCartney's gonna be around. Or Mike McCarthy. You know what I'm talking about? I think we need a new coach. Jerry Jones is the problem. Come on, y'all. We're literally studying this right now. <laughs> you know what's crazy? This is crazy. So I will often use, like, cultural connections, but then I've started to ask the question, what if Jerry Jones came to church on Sunday? 
would we love him? Would we love him? Would we honor him as a, as a person who Christ loves? See, it's interesting because it's very easy to judge people we don't even know. We don't know the thoughts and intents of another person's heart. Shucks, we struggle to know the thoughts and intents of our own hearts. I hear people say awful things about people they've never met. Entire people groups get lumped together and judged and weighed and condemned. Just like it's easy to find indigestion at an all-you-can-eat buffet, boy, it is easy to find judgment and criticism among a group of Christians, isn't it? I love this quote. R.T. France writes this, The critic who is blind to his or her own failings is living in a, listen to this, a make-believe world where one can exempt oneself from standard which others are expected to conform to. Wow, isn't that the truth, you know? And we're confronted with a really sobering thought. Our judgment and measure of others will be the same standard we're held to. Well, that doesn't sound fair. But that is exactly what the scriptures teach. Listen to this. With the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, what this doesn't mean is that our perfect and righteous judge, Jesus Christ, is going to take the posture of a vindictive, self-righteous, exalting person or of judgment of us. That's not what this is saying. But what it is saying is that we are going to be held accountable. We will be held accountable before our righteous judge for criticism, for judgment, for self-exalting behavior where we elevate our own self-righteousness and look down at another. I read to you from Matthew 12, verse 36 through 37, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ declares, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Man, if we're going to be held accountable for every careless word, how about every careless judgment? How about every careless criticism or reckless assessment of somebody else's life? It's ludicrous. In view of the gospel that any of us judge another person. Literally, our sin was so bad... It required Christ to suffer and die on the cross. The gospel declares that none of us is righteous, not a single one. But when we take the posture of judgment of another, we're like, well, yeah, I, mm, sure. I mean, Jesus had to die for me, but they, he really had to die. <laughs> wow. Whew. I'm not even sure if the cross is enough. That's what we're saying. When we judge another person, we're making the, the statement that we don't think the cross is enough for them. And the cross is sufficient. We were all dead in sin, flatlined spiritually, 
We have no reason to boast or exalt ourselves, for in doing so, we actually pronounce our own guilt. And I do need to, to make this, this point. We have no right to judge outsiders. And what I mean by outsiders are people that do not have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. They do not have the Holy Spirit. I can't believe they act that way. I can't believe you expect them to act any other way. And, and here's something that, that really is confronting. Sometimes people who don't know Jesus act more like a faithful follower of Jesus than those who have Jesus. We'll be held accountable to our own standard. The second reason that we should not judge others is we're neglecting our own spiritual issues. I love this. Chapter 7, verse 3. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log in your own eye? Why do you see the speck? That's such a great question, isn't it? It's a question we should ask ourselves. Why do I see the speck? You know, for this illustration, Jesus takes us to the carpenter shop. Because in a carpenter shop, that is where wood is like sanded and cut and, and shaped and put together. And in this particular carpenter shop and in this laughable illustration, a person gets a little piece of sawdust in their eye. Which, by the way, is, is really rough. You ever get something in your eye? You know what I mean? It can be tiny, but man, it just feels like a huge piece of gravel, like a little eyelash. It's awful. I, mean, I don't like getting stuff in my eyeball. But in this illustration, one person gets a little piece of sawdust in their eye, and they're like, oh, I can't get this out. But then this other person gets literally a crossbeam of a house stuck in their eyeball. We'll call it a log. Stuck in their eye. And in this particular illustration that is completely absurd and outrageous, the person who has a crossbeam stuck in their eyeball can only see the speck in their brother's eye, but can't actually recognize they're the ones with the major issue. I mean, it's, it's crazy for a person with a glaring issue to even notice the issue of others. It's like the raging alcoholic pointing the finger of judgment at the person who doesn't use their turn signal to turn right at a traffic light. Or that person who's embezzling literally thousands of dollars or, or robbing the government of taxes to the tune of thousands who judges that person who takes a few candies out of the bin at the store. You know, there's, a, there's a, a fascinating story found in the Old Testament. It's a powerful picture of what Jesus is teaching. It's found in 2 Samuel 11 through 12. You don't have to turn there. But in that particular passage, a godly king did a very ungodly thing. He took a woman that was not his wife, who was married to somebody else, and he slept with her. She became pregnant. So to cover up his crime, he called back one of his soldiers who was the woman's husband from battle so that she, he could sleep with his wife to cover up the crime. I mean, it was like, it's like a shocking story out of the Dallas Morning News or something. It's crazy. That didn't work. So the king essentially sent the husband off back to battle to his death, and then he took the woman to be his wife. A year later, the prophet Nathan is sent by God to David because David is in sin. And Nathan tells David a story. I want you to hear this particular story. There were two men in a certain city, David. The one was rich and the other poor. The rich man had many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. 
Oh, and he treasured this lamb. He loved this lamb. He brought this lamb up in his home. It was like his own little daughter. The lamb ate from his hand. It was like, it was like family to him. Well, the rich man had somebody visit him. And instead of taking from his, his flocks and from his herds, he went and he ripped that little lamb from that man's arms. And he slaughtered it and used it to feed his visitor. Listen to David's reaction. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. He said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. A man who had taken a lamb and had slaughtered it, while David had taken a wife and killed the husband. In verse 7, Nathan said to David, You are the man. Something is spiritually off when we do not recognize the massive spiritual inconsistencies in our own life. Jesus asks, why do we see the speck? The obvious answer is something is wrong with our own heart. This is one of the great barometers of my own spiritual life. See, if, if I'm going through life, it's like, a, it's like an instrument panel on my heart. Like if I start going around and all of a sudden I start noticing all the other drivers, I can't, what is that guy thinking? I can't believe, what are you, what's going through that person's brain? Oh, you know, I get home and I start looking around. I'm like, who lives here? Why is everybody so messy? Why are there so many dirty clothes? Have you ever lived in a household of seven? Dude, mountainous loads of laundry. There's times where I'm like, let's just throw it all away. Let's just start over. I start walking around, I start... I'm the sick one. My heart is sick. See, if I'm disturbed by you, the problem's me. Something's gone wrong with my own heart. When all I can see are other people's issues, we're neglecting our own spiritual stuff. And the third reason is that we can't be helpful. Because this person legitimately has a need. They have something stuck in their eye. And we've already agreed having something stuck in your eye is, is not fun. And it's really helpful if somebody, you're like, oh, but do you see anything in there? You know, and to have somebody who can look in and go, oh, I think I got it. Now, this person needs help. But when we have this spiritual sickness in our heart, we can't be of service to others. And one of our call or responsibilities as Christians is to be of service to one another. To, to help each other with the, our burdens and to, and to honor one another and to serve one another and to love one another. Jesus says this, or how can you say to your brother or sister, this is relationship. If we think the spiritual life doesn't impact and, and affect our relationships, we don't understand the spiritual life. It is a love of God, and it is a love of others. So how can you say to your brother or sister, hey, let me be helpful, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there's a log in your own eye? I love this illustration. This is so cool. Dude, I think I got something in my eye. Hey, don't worry. I'll help you get it out. 
And then I was thinking, what would it be like if you've got two people that have logs in their eyes, you know, and they're just like beating each other up with them? Anyway, I enjoyed the illustration. I mean, imagine David coming along and giving marital advice. Well, you know, in, in my own marriage. <laughs> and there's the person that has that glaring inconsistency that goes and helps everybody else. I got some advice. I'm not using it. You can. <laughs> I think this would help you. Y'all, there's only one solution. Because what's happening is sin, and there's only one solution for sin. It is the gospel and the cross. We need to allow Jesus to take the cross beam out of our face and be the cross beam of the cross that he suffered and died on. To allow his shed blood to be the cleansing for our sin and a restoring of our spiritual sanity. To have our sin cleansed by the shed blood, it is the sin that led Christ to suffering. It is where we are rocked by grace, where Romans 3.23 reminds us that we've all sinned and we've all fallen short. We're reminded in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, it is by grace that we've been saved through faith. It's not of our own doing, it's a gift. It's not a result of works so that no one may boast. It is a place of spiritual surgery. That is the only solution for a judgmental spirit, is spiritual surgery. Where we allow the Lord Jesus to take a bucket and a rag and to humbly just clean the windows that we're looking through. Solution, Matthew 7, verse 5, is eye surgery. You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. The Lord's like, let me restore you to spiritual sanity so you can be of service to somebody else. Uh, no one likes the word hypocrite, right? I mean, unless we're using it for somebody else, right? Like, I don't mind. They're such a hypocrite. No, they're such a hypocrite. But then when I read this, I'm like, whoa. I'm the hypocrite. When I'm judging somebody else, when I'm looking down on somebody else, when I'm criticizing somebody else, whoa, I'm the hypocrite. And the word hypocrite essentially means actor. Pretender. Because I'm pretending like I don't have sin. And I'm acting like I'm better than somebody else. I, I love a passage like Romans 2 verse 1. Listen to this. Therefore you have no excuse, O man or woman, Every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself. Why? Because you, the judge, practice the very same things. That's hypocrisy. To judge a person for doing the exact same thing. It's like, I can't believe that person cut me off, and I cut that next person off. I can't believe that person showed up late for work. The next day we're like, oh, there was a traffic jam. I tried to get here. Anytime we take that critical spirit, we need to schedule a visit to our spiritual doctor, to the great physician, and go in for that spiritual eye surgery to have our window cleaned, to have that plank ripped out of our face, where we're no longer being a plank face. Amen? All right.
We're going to wrap up just reminding us where we've been. Three reasons we should not judge and one solution. One, we're going to be held accountable to our own standard. We're going to be held accountable. Okay? There's accountability in the spiritual life. And one of the ways that we're held accountable, brothers and sisters, if, if you're hearing somebody start to be critical and judgmental, you know, just go alongside of them and be like, hey, you know what? I love you. I really do. I love you. But I think we need to pray. Why do you think we need to pray? Well, because you're being kind of critical of that person. I don't like it when I'm compared to other pastors. Or somebody comes to, to Firewheel and they start tearing down the church they came from. If you come from a different church, don't criticize that church. Get out of the pastor criticism business. Don't tear down shepherds. They're working their tails off. Don't be critical of the neighbor. They're, they're going through life. Life's hard. Be gracious and kind. Well, second reason is was we're neglecting our own spiritual issues. Check, check the, the, uh, the heart, you know? Like, if you got something on your instrument gauge and it's popping up, like there's a problem with the spiritual motor, it's like, okay, wait. I think I need to work on that. And then, and then we can't be helpful when we're judgmental of others, and so the only solution is eye surgery. And so again, just like we continually do, we come to Jesus. Amen? Lord, we thank you for this morning. It is a wonderful morning when Christians gather together. Lord, we love you, and we love one another, and, and we love that you tell us things that we don't want to hear, and um, you call us to a greater holiness, and you empower us to do it. You invite us into humility, to surrender, to be freshly filled with your Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, we're about to go back out into this world, and Lord, I pray that there is some spiritual surgery going on right now, and, and Lord, if, if we do have that critical, judgmental spirit, I pray that, that, Lord, before you it is just cleansed, that we're reminded of the gospel, and uh, that, Lord, we can be kind and, and tenderhearted and forgiving one another as you have forgiven us, and that we can be gracious and kind to those that are really hard to be gracious and kind to, um, but you were gracious and kind to us when we were your enemy. So, Lord, may our kindness lead others to your throne, just as your kindness led us to you. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. All right, family, let's stand together. Now, don't go scampering out of here too quick. This is the, this is the one time we're all together as a family. And if you are new to Firewheel, join us for lunch. If you've been here for a while and you haven't had a free lunch, join us for lunch. It's literally a delicious free lunch. Eat it. Enjoy it. And we'll have a good time. Well, go into the world in peace. Have courage. Hold on to what is good. Honor all men. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the suffering. And share the gospel. Love and serve the Lord and the power of the Holy Spirit. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all till we meet again, same time, same place next week. And do not forget, family.
You are loved. Now let's lavish that love on one another and let's go out in the world and let's share the love of Jesus. Have a great week.